Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Morning, everyone. <clears throat> you came today to hear Father Michael preach. I'm sorry to disappoint. Supposedly, Father Michael asked me to preach today because his grace, Bishop John, asked Father Michael what he thought of my preaching. And Father Michael needed to get some firsthand experience. But after I read the gospel passage in preparation for today's sermon, I began to think Father Michael took one look at it and said, hmm, I think I'd rather have Deacon Benjamin tackle this one. Because as you just heard, it's a tough passage. I've yet to see Matthew 24, 23 written on a bumper sticker or written in a football player's eye black, although I think you have to admit it would probably be pretty intimidating to the other team. I've never walked into Hobby Lobby to find a mass-produced canvas print with the following written on it, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Meredith, wouldn't that look nice over the dinner table? Well, reader Stephen had a similar difficult passage last week that he had to deliver a sermon about. And that's one of the main benefits of our lectionary. It gives us the whole perspective of our faith. Yes, we as Christians have incredible joy in our hearts. We hear of the amazing miracles that Jesus did to heal so many people, bring happiness while he was here on earth. We hear of God's infinite love and mercy for us. And the lectionary rightly spends plenty of considerable time on that. But that's not the whole picture. So from time to time, like the last couple of weeks, the lectionary brings us back to that narrow middle road where we belong, reminding us that our faith isn't all roses. It's also the faith of Christ crucified, of judgment, and of the fearful experience of falling into the hands of the living God. I imagine all of you, like me, have been asked somewhere in your lives, perhaps by somebody on the street or probably by somebody coming to your door, do you know whether you're saved? Perhaps you've asked that question of someone yourself. I'm nearly certain you've asked yourself that question. It seems simple, right? Go ahead, tell me, yes or no. But as Stephen talked to us about last week, very little about that question is easy. Most of us exist in that gray, muddy middle. And whereas some Christians have chosen to make one comfortable in saying, yes, I'm saved 100%, no doubt, as some sort of entrance right to their denomination, we as Orthodox Christians spend our lives wrestling with that question. So why don't we put ourselves out of our misery? Well, I think we as Orthodox subscribe to a statement of Father Thomas Hopko of blessed memory, real confusion is better than false clarity. We all know that some parts of us are doing well and other parts not so well. We're complicated creatures. So when we hear passages like today's, they immediately start to strike fear into our hearts. We begin to immediately think of all those bad parts of ourselves. We start to think of ourselves as the unprepared virgins with insufficient oil in their lamps, or as the one who buried his talents in the ground, or as the rich man who mistreated Lazarus. And why do we do that? Well, because we are all those things and much more. Or let me stop there and at least speak for myself. I know I am at least all of those things. And we know that Christ has harsh words for those folks in the parables. And we began to think and hear his stern warnings are directed to us, and they are. 
And so instead of the joy we should have at the coming of Christ to restore everything to the beautiful, very good way it was created, as he's talking about in this passage, I instead feel sadness and fear of rejection. And perhaps you do too. So once we begin to feel that anxiety and fear, if you're anything like me, you start to try to move this prophecy into some indefinite point in the future. After all, it's been a couple of thousand years and Christ hasn't come back yet. Maybe he'll take another couple of thousand or at least a hundred or so. At least maybe he won't come back in my lifetime. So we decide not to face this passage, but the lectionary makes us do it. So instead we think we'll just maybe leave it for a time when we're already that better person that we hope to be, and then we can handle hearing it. Instead, maybe we put it in the past because it is already uh, a prophecy fulfilled, right? I mean, it starts by obviously referring to his passion and crucifixion. Wherever the body is, there the eagles or vultures be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation, in those days the sun will be darkened, the powers of heaven shaken. Recall Matthew, where this gospel passage came from, will tell us several chapters later that at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, indeed, the land was darkened. In the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, we can see Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And in his angels gathering together his elect from the four winds, well, those are the apostles. Hopefully that makes you feel a little bit better. And yes, all of those perspectives are true. The past, the future, because all prophecies are multi-level. They generally not only apply to some time in the future, but also to some already fulfilled past. But in between those times, they also apply to the here and now. And that's what I'm going to focus on for the rest of this sermon. They don't apply to yesterday, tomorrow, and not even exactly today. But in that very infinitesimally brief moment we call the present. And I don't imagine there was any moment during the sermon so far that you thought I was going to let you get away with not facing the reality of this passage. So what do we do when we're faced with a difficult passage like this and try to place it in the moment, this sharp-edged present I'm talking about? Because living in the moment is the Christian way of life. We see the entire New Testament infused with it. Yes, we do search the scriptures to learn of the historical revelation of God, because there we see a witness that has pointed to Christ from the foundation of the world. Yes, we have faith, the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. We look with joy, yes, joy for the fulfillment of all the promises and prophecies of our Lord. But at this moment, we do have some trepidation. And that is the uneasy reality of the Christian life well lived. Putting anything in the good box except for God himself and anything in the evil box except for the devil is a dangerous exercise. Jesus, the apostles, the centuries of Christian witness tell us to leave the judging to God. St. Paul tells us he doesn't even judge himself. That doesn't mean that Paul doesn't consider whether his actions are godly or sinful. He does. After all, he calls himself the chief among sinners, as we say in one of our prayers uh, around communion. However, it does mean that Paul understands that his eternal fate rests with God, not his opinion of himself, good or bad. To be sure that we're going to hell is depression, and to be sure that we're going to heaven is a delusion. 
Jesus delivers us from both of those improper states, and he does it by simultaneously giving us real hope, real mercy, real love, but also like today, a firm dose of reality. So living in the present, as I said, is the Christian way of life. Jesus tells us not to be concerned with when he's coming back, only to know that it will come like a thief in the night. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to live right now in that moment we were talking about called the present. We can't wallow in the sins of our past or trust in the time to repent of the faults we commit each and every day. Jesus tells us that we should not be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow is anxious enough for itself. He tells us that today's own trouble is sufficient for us. We're told to be content with what we have because tomorrow it may be taken away. We're called to take care of the needs of those around us. And as Jesus himself says, the poor will forever be with us. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Jesus tells us to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves, all in the present tense. We cannot hold a grudge. We must forgive. Or Jesus tells us himself we will not be forgiven. Jesus tells us that if we are offering our gift at the altar and there remember that our brother has something against us, we're first to go and be reconciled with him and only then come back and offer that gift. In fact, the altar is the place that our Lord has provided for us to meet face to face with the very words of this passage each and every week. If then any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ or there, believe it not. He's not in the desert. He's not in secret chambers. He, we know where Christ is. He's right here with us in the blessed sacrament of the Eucharist. In a few minutes, Father Michael will implore our merciful Father to send down his Holy Spirit to change bread and wine into the very body and blood of his most dearly beloved Son. With faith and fear, he will join with Paul in saying, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. All of us partaking in communion should see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory as we partake. In that moment, each week, we participate in the coming judgment, this time by our choice, until the day we will partake of a judgment not of our own choosing. In that communion moment, we come face to face. No more than that, we, are consume, we consume and are consumed by the living God himself. In that moment, we work to see ourselves for who we truly are and let God sustain what's good and sap the strength from what's bad in us. By approaching the altar, we freely participate in that fearful judgment. But in so doing, we grow stronger and more like God each time. If we let God do his work in our heart by listening to him, gently remind us of how short we have fallen of what God created us to be. We need to remember that just little, that little bit of pain we're going to feel in that moment is pale so in comparison to the total separation from God that we would have if we don't listen to that still, small voice. So instead of worrying about the future judgment, we must instead accept the ever-present judgment that we accepted by mystically uniting ourselves with Christ's suffering and death by our baptism. To be saved, we must 
all avail ourselves of the opportunities that Christ has provided through his church to experience his judgment in the here and the now. Because only then, by his grace, will we be prepared for the final coming judgment. By confessing and acknowledging our sins, we will be forgiven. By partaking in the Eucharist, we will be fed and strengthened by the very divine. By repentance, we will turn away from all the false idols and embrace the genuine. And if we leave this place turning away from the bad, repenting of what his present tells us isn't aligning with his will, and embracing the good he finds in us, and we all have goodness in us, we can trust in his promises. We can trust that we will grow, we will progress on our road to restore the likeness of God in ourselves and all of humanity. This is what God expects of us, to keep moving towards him. Baby steps. Even if we take three steps forward, two steps back, that's okay. He will forever love us. After all, he himself pursued us when we were still his enemy. Furthermore, he will defend us from our enemies. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or dread your enemies, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Just keep going. Fight the good fight. And when we leave this place today, if we decide to make the words Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, our refrain, even though it's a little scary to think about, he'll walk with us, supporting us in the good and remind us of what we still need to work on. When Christ has already truly come into your life, you have nothing to fear about his unmistakable second coming whenever it may overtake us. So with all faith, fear, and humility, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.